You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. It is good to see you, and it's good to be back. And if you don't know uh, why we were out last week, our family experienced a tragedy Last week, Natalie's grandmother, uh, who we affectionately called Nan, Nanny, and Natalie called her that her whole life, uh, died unexpectedly two Thursdays ago of a heart attack on Thursday night. Um, We were just in bed, sleeping, got the phone call about midnight that her grandmother had died and was healthy and seemingly healthy, worked out every day, uh, had a personal trainer at 73 years old. I don't know any other 70-year-olds who got a personal trainer. And Natalie was so close to her nan. Uh, they talked every day, usually multiple times a day. I think she may have talked to her more than she talked to me. And Ivy and my, Oliver, my two kids, they talked to, to Nan on FaceTime, usually two, three times a week. Uh, my wife not only lost a grandmother, but really like a second mother. She spent whole summers with her growing up for multiple years, and that was just a shock. And... Natalie had talked to her just hours before she died on her way home from work. Called me to say, I'm on my way home. I need to call Nan. And just, I haven't talked to her yet today. And a few hours later, she went on to glory. She not only lost a grandmother, a second mother, she also lost a friend. And it's been a hard time for our family because it was just so unexpected, um, so shocking. And Natalie's actually in New Orleans this morning. And there's another memorial for her there. And Natalie said, she said, I mean, I've I'm kind of glad I'm not at Redeemer this morning because I don't know if I could handle it. I don't know if I could handle everybody's love and I, I don't want to cry in, in front of everybody. And so thank you so much just for the, the kindness and the prayers and the flowers and the text messages. And thank you, Barry, for, for preaching last minute. Um, and thanks be to God that Nan knows Jesus Christ. And she's in heaven now enjoying the Lord. She'd love to play hymns when we'd gather at Christmas. She'd get on that piano and she'd just get to going. And I'm sure she's up in heaven playing on a super grand piano that Jesus has and enjoying that. You know, Oliver, my son, who's four, said it so well when we were headed to Birmingham where she was when she passed. Um, Then we headed to New Orleans for another service. But there on our way to Birmingham, my son and his little kind of speech impediment he has, and he looked at Ivy and said, Ivy, Nanny died but she's in Kewin now. <laughs> she is. And while we were putting the kids to bed the other night, we were praying and we asked Jesus, Jesus, would you just give Nan a big old hug for us? And I'm sure Jesus did because he's that loving and that kind and that gracious to people like us. And that's what today's passage is all about in Galatians how loving and kind and gracious and awesome Jesus is. So I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter two. We've been in a study of the book of Galatians and it's been a while since we've been back with Christmas and with New Year's and then uh, with Barry filling in last week, but now we're back in Galatians. And what we see today is really the great mercy and love of God for us in his grace. So Galatians 2, beginning in verse 15. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. After Paul, in this context, he has just rebuked Peter over separating over fellowship meals. 
and separating from Gentiles. And so Paul continues his line here. And he says, verse 15, by the Holy Spirit, he tells us, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's pray together. Jesus, you did not die for nothing. So help us to live that way. Help us to not set aside your grace. Help us to live by faith with you now. Now, Lord, help us as we look at your word and look at your grace. And it's in your name and your blood and by the empty tomb that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Rob Bell was once a faithful proclaimer of the risen Christ, but now a shipwrecked teacher. He was asked by Christianity Today, a magazine, to present the gospel, you know, how someone gets saved. He said, I would say that history is headed somewhere. The thousands of little ways in which you are tempted to believe that hope might actually be a legitimate response to the insanity of the world actually can be trusted. And the Christian story is that a tomb is empty and a movement has actually begun that has been present in a sense all along in creation. And all those times when your cynicism was at odds with an impulse within you that said that this little thing might be something bigger, those tiny little slivers may in fact be connected to something really, really big. Now, I want to remind you that was his definition of the gospel. The theological term for what I just read is called hogwash. Nothing, nothing about Jesus, no mention of God, no mention of sin, no mention of the cross, a vague reference to a tomb, whose tomb, no idea. Jargon for not offending. Beloved, we need to de-hogwash the gospel. We live in a time and a place in the United States of America, in the Bible Belt, where the gospel is so confused and so cluttered and all hogwashed up by so many of us and so many churches and so many teachings that we must step back and have a clear and unashamed message about the radical grace of God in the gospel, accepting no alternatives and not allowing for any add-ons for what it means to be accepted by God. We always need to be de-hogwashing the gospel in our time because this is why Galatians was written. False teachers, just to remind you, false teachers are invading the Galatian churches and teaching them a false gospel that you have to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also need to be Jewish. 
There are people in America that teach you need to believe in Jesus and you also need to be white. That's not the gospel. There are people that teach you have to believe in Jesus and homeschool. You have to believe in Jesus and also have Reformed theology. Or you have to believe in Jesus and not be in debt. Anything that is Jesus plus whatever is not the gospel. The message of how we are saved is just Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter because of those false teachers. They're telling them, these, these Gentiles, remember, Jews and Gentiles, this is the way Jews viewed the world. There are Jews, everyone else is a Gentile. So there's Jews and there's South Africans, they're a Gentile. Ethiopians, Gentile. Russians, Gentile. Everyone else is a Gentile except Jews. And so these Jewish teachers are telling these Greco-Roman, Galatian believers, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law, you need to obey the diet and do all of those things, basically saying it is Jesus plus your works for how you will be made righteous. And Paul attacks all of that saying, that's not Christianity. That's why even in the context before this, Paul confronts Peter, one of the main apostles, first apostles, first one of the main three And he confronts him saying, you are out of step with the gospel too, Peter, because you are thinking that you can't eat with Gentiles anymore because they're not as Christian. They're not as saved as as Jews. And that is wrong. And now here in Galatians, as Paul kind of ends his comment about how he rebuked Peter, he now shows us more and more simply what the gospel is. And here's why this matters for our church right now in 2018. Because if we are going to be a church that is faithful to God and faithful to Christ and faithful to his word, and if we're going to be a church that makes disciples and makes much of Jesus, we must be uber clear about the gospel, about what it means to be saved. If we're gonna make disciples and make much of Jesus, we must be clear about what the gospel really is for the outside world and for one another. So we can remind each other what the gospel really is and really how it all begins, how anyone gets saved. Look at verse 15. Paul gives us, I think, the simplest kind of CAT scan of the the gospel in the New Testament right here. What does the gospel look like if you x-ray it? What's happening? This is the section, verse 15. He says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Okay, here's what he's talking about. He's kind of getting into how does it happen that anyone gets saved? What happens in the life of a human being that we become a Christian? It's not what any of us expect. In verse 15, he begins with this, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Well, who's the we? It's him and Peter. That's who he's talking about in context now. And he is kind of this Gentile sinners. What does he mean? Well, he's kind of playing into the reasoning of the false teachers who are saying Gentiles are more sinful than Jews just because they're not Jews. He says, okay, well, yeah, but different. Gentiles, non-Jews, sure, they're sinners. Not just because they aren't Jews. Not just because they don't follow the diet or follow the dress or follow the code. Paul says, yeah, we being Jews, we're very very different from non-Jews. But that doesn't mean anyone needs Jesus less. You know, I'm half Mexican. My wife's from Louisiana. It's... Yeah, Jews and Gentiles are different. In the same way, Mexican culture is different from Cajun culture. Is one more righteous than the other? Does one need Jesus less and one need Jesus more? No. So Paul is actually saying, do Jews need Jesus less than Gentiles just because of our Jewishness? No. 
Do Gentiles need Jesus more just because they're Gentiles? No. This is what Paul is confronting. And listen, there are subtle hacks that we have to the gospel that we've got to confront too. Do we think white suburban kids need Jesus less than black inner city kids? No. Do we think black inner city, Hispanic inner city, do they need Jesus more? And that suburban people, we, just, we have our lives together more, we're more righteous. No. Do intact families who don't have a divorce and have two cars and a spare bedroom, do they need Jesus less than others just because they're kind of further along, got their life together? Do church background folks, they need Jesus less, they're more righteous than the pagans out there? No, and sadly, church background folks, we are the slowest to see our need for Jesus. Don't ever think you don't need Jesus at any and every stage of your life. We need him for everything. That's what verse 16 says. Yet, and we who are Jews by birth, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, sure, Jews, we don't sin the same way as Gentiles. That's fine, but guess what? We need Jesus. How are people saved? It's in this word right here. That's finally introduced, finally two chapters in, the end of chapter two. This word will be repeated a dozen times now in this book. It's in verse 16, justified. Not the show on FX or Netflix. Justified. This is one of the most keystone, important words in the book of Galatians. And I want to tell you, this is one of the most important words in your life. You may hear words like this, oh, that's kind of a theological word. It is. But listen, if you can order at Starbucks, you can learn Bible words, okay? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't worry about that, okay? And listen, and this is a word that's in the Bible, that God wants you to know and that God wants you to find comfort and joy for your life and or else this word wouldn't be here. Justified. Gospel terminology is the best vocabulary you can have on earth. So with this word, Paul rips it out of the legal realm. He goes, Paul goes down to the courthouse, rips this word out and uses it to describe God's actions of grace. To be justified means to be placed into God's high courtroom and you are on trial. And the royal judge hands down a verdict. And his verdict over you is not guilty. He looks at all your sins, all your treasonous actions against him, your lies, your lusts, your envy, your anger, your disobedience to parents, your drunkenness, your past drug use, your slander, your gossip, your hate, your racism, your sins committed against him, your sins committed against one another's. And God looks at all of that and says, you are now not guilty. You are saved from the sentence of these sins. He untangles your life and sets it right before him and certifies your salvation. How? How are we? That's all, what is in, that's all what's embedded in that word justified. How does it happen? Yet, look at verse 16 again. With that framework, how does it happen? 16, yet because we know that a person is not justified. So it does not happen by works of the law, meaning by all of your goodness, by all of your good works, by you being a good person, not by probation, not by community service, 
not by trying to get on God's good side, by cleaning up your life. That doesn't work. Not by cleaning the side of the road of your spiritual life. You know, trying to get in God's grace by community service is like trying to save yourself from drowning by cleaning the side of the road. That just doesn't work. It's not gonna happen. And I don't know if you ever watched Unsolved Mysteries back in the 90s. I show give you the heebie-jeebies. And I think a lot of Christians, probably a lot of us in this room, we live in a lot of fear. We live in a lot of uncertainty. And we live with a lot of doubt, lack of assurance. Acting as though our salvation is some kind of unsolved mystery. Do not live that way. Listen, I want you to hear this. Your salvation is not based on you. Your salvation is not based on you. Amen. I feel like I'm preaching now. Your assurance of salvation is not even based on you. You being justified is not based on how good you are at being a Christian. And frankly, we all kind of stink at being Christians, don't we? There's not one of us in this room who's like, oh, I'm really good at being a Christian. We sin, we lie, we, we still struggle. We aren't perfect. You know, you know where the best Christians are? In heaven. <laughs> the dead ones are the good ones. <laughs> you being declared not guilty is only because of Jesus Christ. Not by our works of the law, not our cobbled together, you know, niceness and attempts to do less bad than we normally do or our coming to church, our singing, our, our reading the Bible. None of that saves. None of that will make you not guilty before God. The only thing that will clean your account before the living God is the Son of God. Faith, trust, belief in Him alone. And listen, and not just believing that Jesus existed. The History Channel believes that Jesus existed. You must believe that he exists now, risen from the dead. And not just believing that Jesus died, but believing that Jesus died for my sins. And not just understanding that Jesus offers salvation, but taking hold of him and his salvation by faith. The way you are saved is by knowing by faith, by simple belief, that when Jesus was nailed to that old rugged cross, he was doing something for you. Your sins, your treason, your lies, all of it, Jesus paid the price. So that, when the, that way, when God looks at you, he can say, not guilty, because all of your sins have all been transferred to Jesus and he died for them, he paid for them, and he's given you his righteousness. He's given you his account, his record, his slate is yours. That's why the Bible says in verse 16. So it doesn't happen by works of the law, middle of verse 16, but by faith, trust, belief in Jesus Christ. And even we ourselves, us Jews, have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, our goodness, our morality, our obedience, no human being will be justified. You cannot be declared not guilty by your own effort. You're justified by faith in Jesus. 
Not Jesus plus Jewishness. We're not justified by Jesus plus speaking in tongues, as some people teach. We're not justified by Jesus plus baptism. We're not justified by Jesus plus reading the Bible in a year. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And I love the thief on the cross. As he's dying, gasping, he tells Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. It's faith. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what that thief, that thief never did? He never attended a church service, never read the Bible. It's being written. Never took communion, never served, never was baptized, just Jesus. Justified by faith in Jesus alone. That's what makes us not guilty before God. One thing, Jesus. And now I, want, I know you can go like, yeah, okay, cool. I want you to really consider the radical nature of this message. After you believe in Jesus, you trust him, you know that he saved you, there is not one thing you do to solidify your salvation. After your faith, after your trust, there is not one thing you can do to cement your justification. It's done. It's finished. And from the moment you believed to the the two years later, five years later, to the day of your death, you do not grow in any amount of not guiltiness. You have the same from day one to the end and into eternity. And every Christian in this room has the same level of justification. All of us. And we're all in different places. We, all, we've been Christians for different amounts of time. We have varying levels of spiritual gifts. Years as Christians, maturity, different struggles that, that we all have, doesn't matter because Jesus is our account. So have you believed? Ask yourself, how will I be accepted by God? How will I be accepted by God? What is your answer? Friend, no human on this planet can get God to tell them not guilty by their effort. It's like trying to impress God with sin. God, I have more sin. Take me now. Here's all my attempts to honor you and please you without you. But if you will just offer up the empty hands of faith and just point to Jesus, he's my answer for why I'm accepted. Because of what he did on that cross, when he rose again from the dead, he's the reason that I am justified. You will be saved. And that is radical grace. And listen, people are scared of radical grace. That's why legalism exists. Because people are scared of grace. Look at verse 17. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. Hogwash. So what's Paul saying here? He says, look, if, if I'm sinning after I've believed in Jesus, the problem's not with Jesus. I'm not corrupting Jesus. Jesus is not getting corrupted by saving sinners and by saving Gentiles. He's not a promoter of sin. Jesus is not the Don King of sin. He's not the guy on a cor corner whirling a little Caesar sign. Sin this way, sin this way. No. He's not a promoter of sin. Jesus promotes forgiveness. Jesus promotes new life. 
And that's why he says in verse 18, if I rebuild those things that I torn down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. So he says, well, what are the things that he torn down? He, Paul tore down and tossed in the dumpster, deconstructed, set on fire, the pursuit of righteousness by law keeping, of trying to be righteous by obedience, of trying to be righteous by being a good person, being a great Pharisee, being a great teacher. Paul says, I tore those things down. They're gone. And he says, if I go back and I try to tack those things onto Jesus, tack my works onto Jesus, I show I don't get it. So if you think that Jesus and your choices, Jesus and the sins you haven't committed are why you are justified, or they make you more Christian than other Christians, you don't get it. Because look at the point, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. What does that mean? The law showed me I can't do it. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. The law, the code, the regulations, the diet, it all showed me I can't live up to it. I tried and I failed. The law showed me I need to die. The law showed me I have to look for another to save me. The law was never meant to save me. The law shows us we must give up and surrender to God that I might live Live for God. So you see already, radical grace doesn't rip us away from following and living and honoring God. It empowers it. You hear legal say, oh, you can't talk about grace. People will sin more and people are gonna get all too free and all crazy and it's gonna sin. You know, that's hogwash. Grace doesn't minimize obedience. It actualizes it. Grace doesn't minimize obedience. It actualizes it. Because now there's a new way to live. After you are saved, you have a new power, a new life, a new everything, the new operating system that you never had before. And look at how Christians, how we radically live. Verse 20, my favorite verse in the Bible, because it captures our lives now, our daily needs, our daily power, everything. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. To be a Christian is to be crucified. Being a Christian isn't just tacking on Jesus' teachings to your life. Being a Christian isn't just adopting some Christian habits, attending church, reading the Bible, praying, doing good works, those, these things that Christians do. But being a Christian isn't just adopting those things. Being a Christian is becoming a co-victim of crucifixion with Christ. Being nailed to a cross. Think of how radical that is. For a man, it's not as crazy for us to say it today because church and we, you know, we're just used to hearing those kinds of things. We wear crosses and all that kind of stuff. But for a first century Jewish man in the Greco-Roman empire to say, I've been crucified. is one of the most shocking things anyone could ever say. Even Paul, who is a Roman citizen to say, I've been crucified. This means that when you look at the cross, to be crucified, to be a Christian means you look at the cross of the Son of God, him dangling there as a corpse with a sign over his head mocking him, a crown of thorns, people gambling for his clothes right in front of him. You look at all of that and say, that's for me. He did that for me and I'm right there with him. My sins are being paid for. The old me, the old version of me is there dying with Christ. 
And there is a BC me and it's there with him. And there's an AD. AD doesn't mean after death. It means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And there's an AD me with him. This is so revolutionary. To be a Christian means you have died with Christ. Your old self, your sins, gone, paid for, dead. And there's a new you now. As the great saint, Our Lady Carrie of Nashville said, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) That's what Paul says. I, verse 20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right now, if you are a Christian, you are not the driving force in your life, Jesus is. The risen Jesus lives in us. When you go to work, So this is why we don't need the law anymore. Christ lives in us. The law doesn't live in us. Our morality doesn't live in us. Christ lives in us. And we're under his rule, his leadership. When you go to work, when you're changing a diaper, when you're reading that Bible, when you're singing this morning, and when you're turning from sin, Jesus is with you and he's alive in you. His power, his spirit, his mercy, his righteousness, his life. Christians have Christ alive in them. And this is what separates us. I mean, think about that statement, Christ lives in me, and put that on the plane of every other religion in the world. Buddhists do not say, Buddha lives in me. Muslims do not say, Allah or Muhammad lives in me. But we say, Christ, the king of the universe, resides in me. And think about even how strange that is just as being an American. We don't say as American citizens, George Washington lives in me. But as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of kingdom of Christ, we say Christ lives in us. We are never alone. And, and look at how we live. Look at verse 20 again. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live. So I have this new life. That old me doesn't live anymore. It's gone, dead. But Christ now lives in this new life that I live in the body. Grace is about our living now. The life I now live. We live. We don't coast. We don't check out. We're not careless. We live by faith in Jesus. He's the engine. Every day is a day of faith with the risen Christ. Real grace for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And listen, I wonder how many of us are finding real comfort and joy in this truth. I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. This this should be the answer to so many of our questions. Why do you have so much joy in the midst of your Suffering in your cancer. I live by faith in the Son of God. How can you endure that marriage just ended already? I live by faith in the Son of God. How can you keep going and keep clinging to that Bible? It's just so old and just, man, come on, it's 2018. I live by faith in the Son of God. How do you know you're going to make it to heaven? How can you be so sure you're going to have eternal life? I live by faith in the Son of God. But 
if we live by another creed, you will struggle with assurance and you will struggle with pride and doubt and fear. I wonder how many of us end up saying things like, I live by faith in my spirituality. I find my assurance in my spirituality and, and my spiritual disciplines and, and my theology. I find assurance in that I, I live by faith in the schooling choices I've made for my family. I live by faith in my obedience. I, I live by faith in the Son of God and, and the fact that I'm heterosexual. Well, I live by faith in the Son of God and, and I'm better than that person. I live by faith in the Son of God and my love for him. Banish all of those. None of those are the real gospel of grace. Do not set aside the grace of God. That's verse 21. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, meaning you can live in such a way where you end up degracing grace. And how does that look like? For if righteousness, if acceptance, if salvation comes through the law, through works, through obedience, then Christ died for nothing. If we think righteousness comes through our actions, Christ died for nothing. That means that we could live and operate in such a way that basically says, oh, Jesus, we didn't need that. I didn't need your death. I mean, that was a little over the top, thanks. I got it. If Jesus plus homeschooling makes us righteous, then Jesus' death was pointless. If Jesus plus avoiding alcohol or Jesus plus being a Republican or Jesus plus whatever makes us not guilty before God, then we don't need Jesus at all. And we spit on his blood. So beloved, don't ever think that Christ died for nothing. And don't ever live like Christ died for nothing. Don't ever act and function and operate in such a way that Jesus' death was, is meaningless. If our actions contribute to our salvation, Jesus died for nothing. We live by faith in, not ourselves, and the Son of God. Not in anything else but him. That's why Paul, now back in verse 20, I live by faith in the Son of God. And what about the Son of God should we know? Who loved me and gave himself for me. This is grace. We are unlovable people. Do you realize how few people actually love you? Jesus is one of them. That's all you need. He loved you and gave himself for you. Loved. So this, Paul's saying, there is no obligatory force. There was no bending of his will, no, you know, no bending his arm that moved Jesus to the cross. It was personal love. He loved me. And just think about that me. Me. Think about Paul saying me, a persecutor of the church, murderer of Christians. Jesus loved me. And think about you. I think about my life, how unappealing, how insignificant, how unimpressive. And yet Jesus loved me. Jesus went to the cross for me. And I didn't ask him to, but he loved me. So listen, we have to de-hogwash what it means to become a Christian. Sometimes Bible Belt gospel presentations, they get it all messed up. 
becoming, you hear things like this, that becoming a Christian means you lay your life down for Jesus and prove how much you love him because you're a sinner. That is not Christianity. The first step to becoming a Christian is seeing Jesus lay down his life for you. Proving how much he loves you, a sinner. That is radical grace. That he loved you and gave himself for you and would live by faith in him. You know, you can love reading the Bible, and we should, but no, the Bible's not going to love you back. You can love coming to church and singing, but those songs aren't going to love you back. You can love Calvinism. Calvinism ain't loving you back. You can love theology. You can love doctrine. You can love reading the Bible. and Those things will not love you back. But Jesus loves you back and loved you first and gave himself for you. That's his radical grace. And is it yours? Do you notice how personal all this was for Paul? Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh and the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside. I, 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 me, me, me. Friend, you cannot be saved by your grandma's salvation. You need your own experience with the crucified and risen Christ your own belief in him, your own encounter with him. You do not inherit your parents' salvation. You can't share this account. And I'm, I don't know how your Netflix account is set up, but some of you, you got like 10 people sharing one Netflix account. You got an account with people all over the place. One person agreed to the terms and everyone else is leeching. That's not how the kingdom works. You must agree to the terms with Christ yourself. You must have your own crucifixion and resurrection with Jesus. Your own trust and your own personal faith in the Lord Jesus. You are justified by faith in Christ. By faith in Christ. Forget all the hogwash you hear in the Bible Belt. What it means to be a Christian. How Christians live. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You can believe today. Today can be the day that you discover faith in the risen Christ. What keeps you from believing today? What keeps you from being crucified with Christ? And that it will be no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Today can be the day. And Christian, let's remember to live by faith. Always. Nothing else. By faith in the Son of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us to not set aside your grace. To not foolishly think that it's, it's you and, the, and then us doing stuff too that makes us righteous and, and, and you and, and us, you know, not sinning in that way like other people or are you and, and us just being really good Christians and us pulling ourselves together, none of that makes us righteous. But you, you and you alone. And now we live by faith in you. 
So any good works we do, it's because of you. Anything we pray, it's because of you at work in us. Anything we sing, it's because of you at work in us. We live by faith in you. So help us, Lord. Help us to not set aside your grace. Help us to not be deceived. Help us to not listen to any garbage that's out there in the world that says otherwise. But we would set our eyes on you. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.